Pastor Ed Taylor speaks of the power of the resurrection of Christ. The very power that rose Jesus Christ from the dead dwells in every true believer. That everything you and I face is met with the same power that rose Jesus from the dead. Not only that, but it gives us the significance that our sins have been forgiven by the finished work of Jesus. Not only that, but it reminds us that all of our friends and family that have died in Christ will be reunited with them. Why? Because of the resurrection. It's foundational. This is amazing grace. Hey, thanks for starting the week off with us here at Abounding Grace. In just a moment, we'll join Pastor Ed Taylor in Hebrews chapter 6 and receive some wonderful foundational truths to live by. Not long ago, we celebrated the resurrection of Jesus on Easter Sunday, but perhaps you're still a little confused about all that it means to us and our daily lives. We hope to clear some of that up today through Pastor Ed's message, Understanding Some of the ABCs of the Faith. First up is the laying on of hands. Let's see together what that's all about. Now, I have to say, this is an interesting foundational truth that he mentions. Because when you read through the book of Acts, we're familiar with this idea of laying on of hands. It's mentioned many times and done many times. For example, there's the laying on of hands on someone to pray for them. We do that here. There'll be times when I just feel a sense where somebody needs to to acknowledge something before the Lord and they need to remember they're in the body of Christ. So we'll have them stand up and then we'll say, hey, look who's standing and then go over and lay your hands on them. And it's a pretty powerful thing, especially if you're the one receiving prayer. Uh, I mean, it always affects me personally when I'm seeking prayer and I, I literally feel a brother or a sister's hand on my shoulder or around me thinking, man, I'm a part of the body of Christ. We pray for one another, and and we do so in such a way where there's a demonstration of our physical presence to remind someone that they're not alone. Laying on of hands is powerful in prayer. Also, the Bible teaches of the laying on of hands in healing. And so, you know, the Bible teaches if you are sick, call for the elders. They'll anoint you with oil. There's the laying on of hands to pray. There's that acknowledgement, maybe that point of contact for your faith to be activated before God, trusting Him, and it's the laying on of hands for healing. There's also the laying on of hands in ordaining a brother into the ministry. We did that not too long ago. But I don't think that's what he's speaking of here, the laying on of hands, all of the ones we just saw in the book of Acts. I see something even deeper that was important for the Hebrew believers, and that is this. I believe he's referring to the laying on of hands through the sacrificial system of Judaism. Listen to this, jot it down, Leviticus chapter one, verse three. He says, speaking of someone that's bringing a burnt offering, he says, if his offering is of a burnt sacrifice of the herd, let him offer a male without blemish. He shall offer it of his own free will at the door of the tabernacle of meeting before the Lord. Then he shall put his hand on the head of the burnt offering and it will be accepted on his behalf to make atonement for him. 
The idea is that if you would bring an offering, you would lay your hands on the animal to convey that that animal sacrifice would cover you and your family. You guys remember, it wasn't too long ago, we studied the entire chapter of Leviticus 16, and we saw the ministry of the high priest and how he would take his bloody hands and put his bloody hands on the bull and also on the scapegoat that would be a representation that that animal sacrifice and the scapegoat running away would represent the sins of the entire nation of Israel for the year. And it was done by faith. And so this is what I believe he's saying to us. He's saying that remember the foundational truth that you no longer need to lay hands on an animal sacrifice for your salvation. No longer do you lay your hands on an animal, but rather you lay hold of the finished work of Jesus Christ. He says, don't go backwards. You're going backwards to something that you've already grown up for. You don't need to lay your hands on an animal anymore. And by the way, I am glad that you guys have gotten this because in all the years we have been a church, nobody has brought a goat to sacrifice here. Praise God for that. Because we're walking, you know, you're walking in with a goat and you're going, dude, what are you doing here? Like, oh, I just came to be a sacrifice. No, no, we don't do that. Because Jesus Christ is the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. Anyone by faith? He's the once for all sacrifice. And so they need to understand, as you and I do, that we no longer lay our hands on animals and sacrifice animals. Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of the sacrificial system. The truth that we need to remember is that we don't do this anymore. Don't go backwards. It's done. The work of God is finished in his son, Jesus Christ. No longer do we lay hands on animals, but we lay hold by faith upon Jesus Christ, our perfect sacrifice. Foundational truth. Number five, this is a great one. Notice the next one. Not only the laying on of hands, but of the resurrection of the dead. The doctrine of the resurrection. What a glorious foundational truth to remember and hold on to. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is foundational to our faith in him. He not only lived, he wasn't only buried, but three days later, Jesus Christ rose again from the dead. He is alive right now, calling you and me into deeper relationship with him. Aren't you glad? This is foundational. Yes, amen. This is foundational because remember... Paul is about to write some really hard things, deeper things, he said. And what is the deeper thing specifically? The eternal ministry of Jesus Christ, the high priest in heaven. His ministry did not end at his death. And it did not end at his burial. And it did not end at his resurrection or his ascension into heaven. That he is still living and interceding and serving you and I in the heavenly realm that will be explained in further chapters. He has an eternal ministry. He's an eternal high priest. And the very root of that is his resurrection. Would you turn over in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 15? 1 Corinthians chapter 15 really speaks to the church in Corinth. Just like we are a church here in Colorado, the church in the city of Corinth were somewhere in the church saying that there was no such thing as the resurrection. Some were going around teaching a false doctrine that there was no resurrection. And notice how it's addressed in verse 12 of 1 Corinthians chapter 15. It says, Now if... Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead, and he is. 
How is it that some among you say that there is no resurrection from the dead? Now, if there is no resurrection from the dead, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty and your faith is also empty. Yes, and we are found false witnesses of God because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ whom he did not raise up if in fact the dead do not rise. So he's addressing it. He's saying, look, we teach then the resurrection, but if the resurrection isn't really true, then our preaching is wrong. Everything we've ever said is wrong. God is wrong is basically the point he's making if that false teaching was true. Verse 16, if the dead do not rise, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile and you're still in your sins. And even then, verse 18, those who have fallen asleep, those who have died in Christ have perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men the most pitiable. That really is the essence of denying the resurrection. Not only do you, do you not have a, not only do you call God a liar, not only do you call Jesus a liar, not only do you call pastors uh, untruthful, but now your sins aren't forgiven because the forgiveness of your sins are rooted in the promises of Jesus Christ. And he kept his promise and rose from the dead. And he's just kind of walking you through, man, if what, you're, if the, what they're saying is true, this is a pitiable doctrine. And if that's all the hope that we have is this world, we're in trouble. And even those that died before us in Christ, they don't even exist anymore. But he says in verse 20, but now Christ is risen from the dead and has become the first fruits of those who have died. Indeed, he has risen from the dead. And the very power that rose Jesus Christ from the dead dwells in every true believer. That everything you and I face is met with the same power that rose Jesus from the dead. Not only that, but it gives us the significance that our sins have been forgiven by the finished work of Jesus. Not only that, but it reminds us that all of our friends and family that have died in Christ will be reunited with them. Why? Because of the resurrection. It's foundational. The resurrection of Jesus Christ. He is alive. He is not in the tomb. So much so that Peter would put it this way in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Peter was an eyewitness. He says, Because of the resurrection of Jesus, we have been begotten to a living hope one that is looking for a soon return, notice, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. The resurrection is essential. It's an essential Christian doctrine that we understand of the power of Jesus, and he's alive today. You know, it reminds us too in that last verse uh, in 1 Corinthians, like if there's only hope in this life, man, and we have the most pitiable existence. It reminds us of one of the most significant but often overlooked teachings of Jesus Christ found in Matthew chapter 6. In Matthew chapter 6, as Jesus is speaking about worry and fretting and the cares and concerns of this world and clothing and food, he closes up by saying, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. That's the right order for us, to seek God first, to have him as the priority and the preeminent motive of everything in our lives. And can't you testify, I'm sure you can, to the many times where Jesus was not placed first and what an empty existence that really is. 
the times where he wasn't preeminent, where our faith wasn't focused, where the things of this world and the the situations of this world and, and the accoutrements of this world captured our attention. And we came to the end when we finally repented and turned back to the Lord. We finally came to the end and said, you know what? This is a pitiable existence. I need to get my eyes and my life back on the Lord. Especially you young people, as you launch out into life, understand this, although it's for young and old, but understand that the key to life is to seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Nothing else matters without God. Not not any amount of money, not any amount of education, not where you live, not what house you drive, not what clothes you wear. You You don't drive houses, what car you drive. I mean, I guess you can do those uh, mini houses. What do they call those? Those little ones on a trailer. (laughs) What car you drive, (laughs) what house you live in, what clothes you wear. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Here's the final one in uh, number six now, the final foundational thing, and that is not just the resurrection of the dead, but of eternal judgment. That's an important, sobering truth, eternal judgment. To know that you'll have to answer for your life before a holy and a righteous God. And the Bible actually teaches two different judgments. One is found in 2 Corinthians, if you want to turn there, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. I want to show it to you, so would you please turn 2 Corinthians chapter 5. This is the judgment for believers. All Christians will be at this judgment. Pick up with me in verse 9 of 2 Corinthians chapter 5. It's known as the Bema Seat judgment or the Bema Seat. Verse 9, Therefore we make it our aim, whether present or absent, to be well-pleasing to him. For we, speaking of believers, must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. This is where our works and the motive of our works will be judged and tried by fire, purified. And that which was pure will last, and that which was pure, you know, wood, hay, and stubble will be burned away. I have to say, this is probably going to be a very surprising moment for us. I think there's going to be a lot of surprises in heaven how that all go down, I'm not quite sure. But even times where in this life, before we even get to the Bema Seat, in this life, God has revealed to me many times over that I've done something good with the wrong motive. (laughs) I've done something good, but not really to glorify God or to bring him honor. And and while God has used that good work in order to, to, for his purposes, my motives were revealed. Well, at the Bema Seat, all of our motives will be laid bare. And that which lasts will end up being rewards, and that which isn't will be burned up in the fire. The Bema seat from from the first century referred to this place of judgment in the city square. You know, when you go with us on a Footsteps of Paul trip and we go through the different cities, there's actually still some Bema seats there, and that's where the judges would sit. And the judges of the city would judge matters that were important and that would be brought to them. But also the Bema seat represented the place in the Olympic Games where a person would come and be rewarded for their victory. And so the Bema Seat is not just a place of of purifying and burning away those things that were done with impure motives. It's also a place of reward for the Christian. Turn back to Revelation now, chapter 20. Because the second judgment that's mentioned in the Bible is known as the Great White Throne Judgment. 
great white throne. Believers will not be at the great white throne judgment. It is reserved for unbelievers. Now, they may be somewhere in that vicinity, perhaps, but the great white throne judgment is for unbelievers where they'll be judged by one decision and one decision alone, and that is, what did they do with Jesus Christ? How did they respond to the finished work of Jesus Christ in their lives? Notice in verse 11 of chapter 20, it says, Then I saw a great white throne, and him who sat on it, and from whose face the earth and heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God, and the books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the books. And then notice, the sea gave up the dead that were in it. Death and Hades delivered up their dead, and they were judged, each one according to his works. And then death and Hades was cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And anyone not found in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. And so eternal judgment is something we all need to come to terms with. The Bible says, according to Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27, that it is appointed once for men to die, and after this, the judgment. There are no second chances after death. There are many gracious chances this side of death. But once a man or a woman dies, there is no other chance. You can't change your mind after you die. Now, I have to say, though, in a sense, you will change your mind in the presence of God, but by then it'll be too late. There is no such thing as this doctrine of purgatory where you go somewhere and get a second chance and people can pray you out and pray out the sin in your life. You either receive Jesus Christ and his finished work of salvation for your life now before you die or after that, it's the judgment. Believers stand before Christ in the Bema seat. Unbelievers stand before the great white throne. Believers go into an eternal presence forever and ever in the presence of God, full of joy and peace and, and true happiness. Unbelievers are sent away into the lake of fire, Gehenna, for eternal judgment. It, it, it's such a heavy topic, and we've taught on it before, but Jesus would describe it as a place where there's darkness, utter darkness, gnashing of teeth. And this one phrase is just really kind of scary, and that is a place where the worm doesn't die. And that's not God's heart for you. God's heart for you listening to me right now is for not, not for you to experience eternal judgment. It's for you to experience eternal life. That you might live in a way that glorifies and honors God, your creator. That you would live in such a way where your sins are forgiven and you have repented of your sins and you have turned your life toward faith in God, living in the very resurrection power of God, living in a way where you don't depend on your dead works to save you or some religious system, but rather a surrendered, obedient life abiding in Christ. You see, for us that are saved, God's heart for us is to grow up, to become more useful in his hands, not less. God is strong and mighty, working in you by his grace. And he uses a variety of people and a variety of ways and a variety of circumstances and a variety of time periods to help us grow up, to help us mature, to help us toward perfection. Some of you have such deep searing pain right now, and yet I want you to know that that pain is not lost or wasted. 
in the hands of God. Or you could put it this way. There is purpose in your pain today. And God will use it for his glory. I know there are times where you're just like, you know, I don't understand. I just don't see how... Marie was just telling me this yesterday as we were standing by the graveside of our son. And she says, you know what? It doesn't get any easier. And I said, I know, honey. And she says, I just don't understand how God's going to use this. And I said, I know, honey. But God is revealing his will in our lives. And we know without a doubt that there is purpose in the pains that come in our lives. Because you know, everyone suffers. Everyone goes through difficulties. Every one of us come to circumstances where we just don't understand. And it's in those times when we don't understand that we commit our lives to a faithful God who does understand, who does care, who understands through the sacrifice of his own son, he would do everything possible to keep us from an eternity apart from him. And all that's waiting is for you to bow the knee in humility and turn away from your sin. God wants to disciple us, church. He is discipling us. He is growing us. Pastor Ed Taylor helping us arrive at an understanding of some of the ABCs of the faith. And this is Abounding Grace. Hear us any time of the day or night at AboundingGraceRadio.com or through the Calvary Church app. So, Pastor Ed, as you were talking about the grief and suffering you and Marie have experienced, uh, right away I thought of your new book, God's Help for the Troubled Heart. How have you seen the Lord use this to help reveal some of the purpose and the pain that we so often go through? Hey, Larry, thank you so much for asking. Uh, We put together a book entitled God's Help for the Troubled Heart and released it late in 2020, not really knowing how appropriate the timing would be with the pandemic and the year-long shutdowns. And I know this book will be a tremendous resource. It has been a tremendous resource for anyone struggling, wrestling. It could be from the depths of deep grief, which is what birthed the book out of my heart, or from just regular, everyday things that trouble our hearts uh, and just get into our heads and our minds. Uh, It is not a book profoundly about grief, although it is an encouragement to those suffering, but it is a book about problems and difficulties uh, that are met by a great and faithful sovereign God. And that's the neat thing of how it ended up, you know, how it ended, how it got published. It's not a book about me and my family and my story, as much as it is a book about God's faithfulness and his goodness and his love for you, that he'll never leave or forsake you, or for the mega theme in the book, that God's working all things together for our good and his glory, even though all things are not profoundly good at all. So I'd encourage you to pick it up. I know the Lord's using it. I just posted today on our social media more feedback that we receive just about every day. Uh, and pray for us, would you? Because we just sent 40 copies of God's Help for the Troubled Heart to one of the NICUs here locally in Denver. And we are partnering with a nurse there to minister to the depths of needs on that floor. Can you imagine that? Uh, All these books on the hospital floor, it's so encouraging. Pray for us. Pray for those 40 books to be in the right hands so that 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 little book will lead someone to the greater book, God's Word, the Bible, and even a greater decision 
to surrender their life and repent of their sins and surrender uh, into a new relationship being born again. So good. Thanks. You can order Pastor Ed's book, God's Help for the Troubled Heart, through our e-store at calvaryco.church. Then click on Store at the top of our homepage. Thank you for remembering abounding grace in your giving to the Lord. Every gift that comes in goes right to ministry. It plays an important role in helping us bring the truths of God's Word to the radio every day. And when you support the ministry today with a gift of $25 or more, we'll say thanks by sending you Skip Heitzig's book, How to Study the Bible and Enjoy It. Maybe you're not getting a lot out of your time in the Word these days, or you're unsure how to go about it. Allow Pastor Skip to help you through this wonderful book. To order it today, call 877-30-GRACE. That's 877-30-GRACE. If you'd just like to make a donation to the ministry and not interested in the book, you can donate safely and securely at AboundingGraceRadio.com. We look forward to continuing the journey through Hebrews next time on Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. In the meantime, let's be drawing on God's abounding grace for daily living. This is amazing grace. Abounding Grace is brought to you by Calvary Church, Colorado, here in Aurora.